I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man, your host. Welcome to Season 5, Here We Go. This podcast is brought to you by discipline, delayed gratification, and being accountable to yourself. This podcast is about finding the high road, working hard every day, creating the best possible version of yourself. Our values are faith, family, fitness, finances, elk hunting, and career. Our guiding principles are authenticity, transparency, and out-hustling the competition. Our podcast is brought to you by Buck Knives, Onyx Hunt, Vortex Optics, Wilderness Athlete, Black Rifle Coffee Company, Crispy USA, Matthews Archery, Kufaru International, and BlackOvis.com. What's up, Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man. Today, co-host Jacob Webb. What's up, Jake? What's going on? Post-elk season recap. You know, a lot of folks like it, so we're going to do it. We're going to talk about the elk hunting season. You know, we've done this podcast. This is year five. I can always look back and say that this specific episode gets a lot of downloads. I think people maybe want to hear our stories. What I want to convey to you guys is I want to talk about, I'm always learning every year I go out. It's not like I, sh I show up and just go kill an elk. Like I'm learning new areas. I'm learning new things about elk. I'm learning new things about myself, my gear, my equipment choices. So I don't know if this is going to be a one, two, or three, or five-part series. Let's just hit record, Jake, and let's just kind of go from start to finish. And I'm going to give you guys a little teaser. It didn't finish the way we were hoping. We had a little bit of drama. We'll get to that. So are you ready, Jake? Let's go. I love that my mic's pointed this way so I can't look at you. <laughs> Wish you guys could see this, but I'm looking away from Jake because my mic, I can't move it. Producer Tim made me buy this fancy uh, Sure mic. He's like, it's the same one Joe Rogan uses. It makes your voice sound way better. I can't tell the difference at all, but hopefully you guys can. Jake, we went to Idaho first. Idaho opens August 30th, y'all. And I knew that uh, I had a... New Mexico elk tag. I actually drew it, didn't buy it. And I hadn't drawn a New Mexico tag since 2007. So it had been a long time since I've actually legitimately drawn New Mexico. And I drew the first season, which is the first through the 14th. 
And for some reason, in my mind, I wanted to go Idaho, August 30th. I can't even remember the exact dates, like through September 2nd or 3rd. And then I wanted to bebop all the way over to Montana and, and hit the opening uh, weekday of Montana season, which was like Saturday, Labor Day weekend, Saturday, and hunt that Saturday and Sunday. On Labor Day, my plan was to drive down to New Mexico and then come pick you up in Idaho together we'd go down to New Mexico so you could film that hunt that's not exactly what happened Jake nope so I I had an Idaho tag too so I think we left the 26th 27th ish I want to say the 20 I left the I arrived on the 20 on the 28th the evening of the 28th okay in the dark and so I wanted to, I think I just pulled over, slept, and then on the 29th, I had trail cameras to go check. I wanted to get a morning glass sesh and an evening glass sesh, all that kind of stuff. It's August 30th, I don't plan on bugling in a bowl. I plan on doing spot and stock, ambush, and I think you did the same. So I think you arrived on the 29th. Yeah, I remember I drove all night, got there. The lights that we set up on the trucks are phenomenal. That's the first time I've really had a chance to test them out, showed up in the dark yeah idaho was our game plan number one for sure the light force lights were amazing because we're you know we're kind of in the high desert dirt blm type sagey roads really terrible roads and just having a really solid truck and and that's part of being a really good elk hunter is just kind of like putting out all the fires before they get started those things are like making sure your truck all the maintenance is done and that you know how to take care of shit when it breaks. You're going to get a flat. Something's going to break on your dirt bike. Having all the tools. If you didn't know, like my trucks, I have a truck dedicated just for hunting. A lot of people have seen it on the interweb. So I do get, <laughs> people do seem to recognize where I'm hunting, which is not always a good thing. But I got the Lightner Rack, which I, I strongly recommend. And on the Lightner Rack, I have their cubbies. I have a shower. I have water, gas, recovery boards, and then I use that rack to put my rooftop tent on. I'll talk about my rooftop tent because I started using a new one towards the end of the season, and it really is like the biggest game changer ever, and I'll tell you about that. And then I have the decked system so that it saves a lot of space, and then that thing's chocked full of pretty much tools and repair and just just stuff like chainsaws, drill motors, and then all my wrenching tools and parts for dirt bikes, just because I've elk hunted long enough to know it's not if, it's just when and what is going to break while I'm elk hunting. And how can I mitigate that so I'm spending more time hunting and less time, you know, trying to get a ride into town and get my, I put my spare on my truck and take this tire in and get it repaired at a, like a Les Schwab's or something. And that town's three hour drive, you know. That's precious, valuable time you can't get back. And time is your number one killer, as y'all know, when it comes to elk hunting. And I think the biggest thing, too, is like most people, most people talking about you guys that are hunting are going to hunt for a week. We're leaving in August and our plan isn't to come back until the end of September. So like the amount of gear and the amount of stuff that we're taking, it's a lot. Yeah, it's actually overwhelming. And I'll talk about when I got back from the first two hunts how it took me an entire two full days just to unload everything, get everything cleaned. I mean, that's ridiculous, but I have a new system for that. And we'll talk about that because remember, we're always learning and evolving our game. So we spent, I would say August 30th and 31st in Idaho. I had this one spot where 
elk pinch point up the mountain. And I probably wasted too much time hiking in the dark, way up there, a thousand vertical feet and checking that camera and checking that camera, no elk on it. And it was just like, what is going on? And it's different from the year prior. I really, this spot was awesome. It's actually where I killed a bull last year. It's just a great, beautiful pinch point where anytime I've been there, I've seen anywhere from 30 to 60 elk in a herd go through this pinch point. And I had a tree, uh, a tree saddle platform I put there in the summer and it's not like over water. It's not over alfalfa. It's not, it's just straight up. You got to elk have to go by this tree to get to where they bed. It's a pinch point. I never sat that tree stand because my camera never had an elk on it. And then you also did a similar program. One Canyon away. You had in the summer hiked up in there, put a camera out and set up your platform and again, it's like we only know about the spot from a watching the elk yep. go four or five miles away from their food source, take a left and go up my mountain or they go up your mountain. Exactly. And both our spots, we're hunting the same herds. And if they go right, they're going to go by you through that pinch point. I don't know why, but they always go through that trail. And the same thing with mine. Like they could go other ways, but they always go by my trail. And it's like, well, dude, that's a 50-50. And so here we are in our saddles watching nothing go by. Yeah, so that, that was my my plan A. We've hunted this spot before. We know that there's elk in there. We know there's a lot of cows. Your buy-in is you're in the desert, in the floor. You have to hike all the way up to get in your saddle, which is a lot of elevation game in the dark in the morning. And you're hunting these elk in the morning as they're transitioning. So by 10 o'clock, you're like, your hunt's over with that plan and you have to transition into a different plan. So that's, that's where I went first, hiked up, got my whole setup, waited nothing. And we kind of know the reason behind that. There's a previous hunt close in that area and we just think everything got kind of pushed out, but yeah, I wasn't seeing anything in that location. And, and that's fine. And honestly, so majority of the two days we were in Idaho, I'd say most of my time was spent pretty much glassing and going to vantages. I went into a couple basins and just tried bugling, never got a response. I didn't see an elk. So we decided to leave Idaho. Didn't spend any really time in a tree, just didn't do anything really productive. And so as soon as September 1st hit, I told Jake, like after the morning glass session, I'm like, this uh, New Mexico tag's burning in my pocket, man. I think we need to pivot. I'm going to skip the opener in Montana. I don't know. For some reason, I thought we one of us would get an elk in the first two days and just kind of kick things off proper. Didn't happen. So after the morning hunt, we loaded up unexpectedly and just decided to head towards New Mexico, which is a hell of a drive from Idaho, by the way. And then I'm going to fast forward. So it was 2 a.m. the next day. So we drove all day, all night. It's two in the morning. We pull up to the closest gas station to my unit and we start loading up our packs, getting our camo on, getting ready to head into the unit. And uh, I think most guys probably would have like maybe slept or took a break. I, I just, I don't do that. Honestly, like that drive is long and it's like there's sections that are boring, but it's like when we rolled up to that gas station, like we got some snacks, got some coffee, gassed up, like your adrenaline like kind of spikes. It's like, we're here. 
we're hunting, we're in the unit. I mean, we were a little tired, but we left from that gas station and like did night bugling. Like I was not tired anymore. I'm like, I'm pumped. I'm like, we're in New Mexico. We're killing something. BlackOvis.com is where I buy all my gear. I use the discount code ELKSHAPE. It takes 10% off. Very few exclusions apply. Shipping is fast and free. They're already great prices. And when it comes to getting your gear in your hands early 2022, it's never been more important. Number one, supply chain issues. Number two, inflation. Don't wait. Your prices could go up on everything. And number three, get the gear in your hand. Test it and vet it before the season. Black Ovis offers clothing, footwear, optics, gear, archery, camping, several different brands, lots of SKUs. We've partnered with them because we believe in them. Use a discount code ElkShape, save 10%. TheElkCollective.com is a website that I started with John Gabriel several years ago. We wanted to create a digital, virtual, educational learning platform where you could watch videos and learn how to elk hunt. Learn specific tactics from several different subject matter experts who hunt in different states. If you're an elk hunter, you've signed up for being a student for life. So join The Elk Collective and get going. Use the discount code ElkShape Podcast, all one word, and save 20% on your annual membership. Numa Outdoors, I partner with them over a year ago, I switched from Sika Gear to Numa Gear. This brand believed in Elk Shape, and I believed in them. I tested their gear before partnering with them, and I was really impressed. Numa has an entire line dedicated to Out West, and here's your lineup if you're in the market. Get yourself the Base Haven Base Layers, the Pursuit Pant with the knee pad that is removable. These are breathable, athletic, good four-way stretch pants that'll help you maneuver and be athletic in the mountains. For a top layer, I recommend a Renegade short sleeve, long sleeve, or quarter zip with a mid-layer Alpha verdicts jacket or vest and always have a palisade puffy in your pack to wait out storms use the discount code elkshape20 to save 20 percent off your first purchase from numa outdoors faru international this is the best backpack on the market in my opinion first things first get yourself the duplex light frame then you can attach any bag that you want i have several bags in my arsenal but my top three are going to be the hoodlum the hoodlum is i'm going to use for anywhere from a five to seven day hunt i can pack out an elk with it easily and i can organize my gear the next pack of choice is going to be the 22 mag a little bit smaller than the hoodlum this is more of like a two or three day effort perfect for the elk hunt perfect for the elk mountains perfect for getting around and keeping your gear organized last but not least is the new hellbender this is the striker xl on steroids this is a pack that i'm going to be using exclusively in 2022 elk hunts all three bags fit on my duplex light frame and with kifaro you can customize your setup with accessories i generally run on my right hip the water bottle pocket gen 2 for my nalgene a small or medium belt pouch and generally a small medium large pocket somewhere on the bag you can also backfill with the sherman pocket or guide lid and inside my bag i organize all my gear with kufaro ultralight pullouts when it comes to sizing your frame the belt the straps they have great customer service just pick up the phone give them a shout tell them elk shape sent you talk to their customer service representative get the exact size you need buy once cry once and enjoy the best hunting backpack on the market most elk are on their feet at 2 a.m. Fact checkers, go check it. That's a fact. So I believe we went maybe 15, 20 miles into the unit on National Forest Road. Had done proper prior e-scouting. Had my first spot picked out. Drove up there. Let out a bugle. Instant response. And he sounded like a dinosaur. And then he had a satellite. And that satellite had a satellite. We had three bulls located in our first spot where we bugled basically on September 2nd, and it was barely September 2nd. I went to the next spot, and uh, this spot was cool because it's kind of a dead end. I don't really like dead end spots, but this spot was dead end walk-in only, and we got out of the truck, and it was this pretty interesting meadow system with running water in it, but the meadow was like, I don't know how many miles long, 
and we sent out one locator and about a mile away, we heard the bull answer and I was like, sweet. And he sounded good. And then I, we didn't make another sound. And then he bugled one more time on his own. And I was like, okay, let's hunt this bull tomorrow. So we literally just threw out, I don't, where did you sleep in the truck? I literally reclined back and grabbed my bag and I slept inside the cab. I threw out my canvas cutter, jumped in it, and I, my alarm was going off. It seemed like 15 minutes later. Got up, drank some coffee, got our gear, and started cutting that distance down from where we heard that bull bugle a couple hours prior. And we started getting pretty close. I don't think we could hear any bugles yet, but I knew that it was like too dark. And this is a big tip. Don't bump elk in the dark. And we kind of knew we were getting close to where we heard him last and that we had good wind where we came in, but we didn't know where they were and they hadn't bugled yet. So we just sat down and listened. And once it was light enough to see with our binos, we could kind of glass close to us. Nothing was right there. Because the last thing you want to do is call a bull in and it's not legal shooting light. There's nothing you can do but just educate it. So waited for it to get just the amount of light that you need. Three cow calls, bull answers. He's right above us. The herd's already moving from the food source to the bedroom. Let's take an angle. It was pretty incredible from where we went from the truck to where we were on elk. And there's been times, me personally, I would have walked farther than that and I would have pushed those elk. So like that's one thing is locating the elk that night with a bugle, walking in and realizing like where we were, there's elk close. So not bumping them like that made a huge deal. But we we were on elk quick that morning. There was multiple bulls bugling from that spot. Uh, yeah, I think we had three bulls and a set of 30 cows and calves. And we just got right in the middle, ended up doing a couple cow calls, moved up from the last sound and the lead cow comes right by at 20. And by the way, all this stuff will be on the Public Land Hustle, our YouTube video series that we work really hard to not only try to produce, but to to make it entertaining and educational. Lead cow comes by, bull is right on her butt. I'd say within the first 15 minutes of shooting light, I've already passed a bull at 40 yards broadside. And I mean like broadside, hey, you want to shoot me right here behind the shoulder? That was really cool. And there was bulls behind him bugling. So we ended up following that herd for a little, a little while and... And then they went up the mountain and we peeled off and went into another part of this meadow. I think I just let out a couple cow calls and I was like, Jake, Jake, get down. There's a bull 700 yards across this meadow. This meadow was that big in the broad daylight, 830 in the morning. And this bull's just like drooling, staring at the us or the direction he heard the cow calls. And I'm like, I think he's coming. And sure enough, I'd say, give him five, 10 minutes. And we filmed the whole thing. And next thing you know, this bull's 18 yards broadside, five by five, not going to shoot it first day. This place is ridiculous. Yeah. A little bit better than Idaho so, at the moment. Yeah. That's the huge thing is like we leave Idaho struggling to even find elk. We drive all the way to New Mexico to a spot that we have never hunted before. Did e-scouting, did the due diligence there. And we're on elk that morning where, I mean, we got cows and bulls talking and we're less than... 20 to 40 yards from them that second bull if you would have drawn a string from where he came out of the timber directly to us like that last cow call he knew exactly where we were and he like came in on a string i mean it was like perfect and the thing that like opened my eyes a little bit up to that in the timber calling and then moving like those elk know where that last location came from like that elk was so far away and he had us pegged yep and he strolled right by and 
Eventually, he walked far enough past us. He got our wind pieced out. So we went up to the top of the mountain where that herd had went because we didn't see one of the bulls, and he happened to be one, the, the biggest sounding bull. And so we kind of took a long way to get there, but we just needed to get the wind right and kind of eliminate a couple betting options and then pretty much pinpointed, okay, this is where they probably betted. Let out a couple sounds. Next thing you know, cows are walking by us. And the bull's away from his cows just far enough to where we took advantage. And this bull bugled so many times. And I'm just going to summarize it. This is still day one in the morning. And we're in their bedroom. The cows are basically behind us now. And we're between the bull and his cows. It's just such a good place to be. It doesn't always work out that way. The only problem I would say is he's coming up the drainage within a couple hundred yards of his cows. And we have too much real estate, open real estate between, and we're higher than him to where we can't just like do what I wanted to do, which was just basically sprint and cut a hundred yards off and get on his exact contour, which is always the way to go. Instead, we, we had to stay where we were and just call back and forth. And he kept getting closer and closer. And finally he got to a spot where I was afraid he wouldn't come anymore because he could kind of see where the sounds were coming from. That's also known as a hang-up spot. It was pretty easy to recognize. So we had to kind of take a big risk and go through one little opening. And I think we, dude, I think we could have done it, but the sun was high. It was about 11 a.m. The sun rays are reflecting off my GoPro lens over my shoulder. I carry a GoPro lens over my left shoulder at all times. Jake's got a DSLR camera on his shoulder and that little viewfinder is reflecting the sun. And then Jake's got another DSLR in his hand with the giant lens and the caps off because we're filming. And so we got three cameras reflecting light as we went through this opening. And I know for certain he picked off something that he did not like. Yeah. And even before that, there there's calves and cows right on us, like within 20 yards. So like before we drop in, it's like we were kind of hung up. We had to stop. We had to let those cows go before we could even drop in to go after him. So that's that's how we got in between the cows and the bull. But as, as soon as he saw something he didn't like, that initial like bark, that's all he wanted to do was bark. How many times did he bark back and forth at us? On X Hunt, this is the number one digital hunting application. I take it with me everywhere I go on my phone. Download your maps ahead of time and you know differences between state, BLM, national, private. You know where roads are at, terrain features. You can do all your e-scouting from a desktop via the desktop version and have all those waypoints and information transferred to your phone. Having a tremendous amount of confidence that it's not going to crash in the backcountry when you need it most and that you are legally hunting where you're allowed. The Elite membership will allow you to get free access to Hunt Reminder. This is a great app that will notify you when draw deadlines are approaching so that you never miss a deadline. You also get access to Top Rut, which has arguably the best draw odds in the business. And if that wasn't enough, you also get access to Hunt and Full, their digital publication with each state breakdown and analysis so you can plan your hunts ahead of time. All this for $99. Plus, when you enter the discount code Elkshade, it'll take 20% off. Wilderness Athlete. This is a supplement company, not a marketing company. The difference being these guys spend their dollars reinvesting into product development. And I have been partnered with them for a very long time. They just came out with their new Hero 
which is hydrate, energize, recharge, and overcome. All you have to do is add water. Make sure you pick up a couple boxes of those for elk hunting season, as well as hydrate, recover, energy, and focus, the green infusion, daily multis, fish oils, probiotics, protein powder, post-workout, pre-workout, whatever you need, whatever the goal, wildernessathlete.com. Enter the discount code ELKSHAPE30 to save 30% off your first purchase. Baku e-bike, elite fat tire e-bikes to help elevate your game. I use the mule. People ask me why do I not use the storm? Because I hunt out west and I need the extra wattage to get up steep terrain. Find a dealer near you by heading to Baku.com for a quick little demo ride to see for yourself or get yourself a backcountry e-bike, a trailer, an extra battery. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE to save $300 off your purchase and utilize these e-bikes when you're chasing turkeys, bear, deer, elk, any sort of trail, logging road, where legal, they are an awesome resource for you to get in and get out quietly. And if you have a trailer, hopefully you're hauling precious elk meat back to the truck. Black Rifle Coffee Company. I am a huge fan of coffee. Probably guilty of maybe drinking too much, but I love Black Rifle. It's my alternative to Starbucks. These folks at Black Rifle are pro hunting, pro 2A, veteran owned. I can tell you right now, you guys should check out the coffee club. Join the club and you're going to get free shipping on your club orders. Automatic deliveries on your schedule so you can program it for when coffee should arrive at your doorstep. You'll get exclusive discounts from over 50 plus partner brands. And you can always tweak, tinker, or modify your subscription at any time to suit your fancy. My favorite all time is the Flying Elk. That should be no surprise. Black Rifle is a huge partner of Elk Shape. They support our message of crushing the elk hunting learning curve and leveraging elk hunting. Check out Black Rifle Coffee Club of the Month. Enter the discount code ELKSHAPE. Save 15% off and enjoy America-driven coffee from a veteran-owned company. I don't know. I, a couple things that made that that whole scene possible was, one, we never had that wind hit the back of our neck, which I hate. That never happened. The cows never saw us, hurt us. So that made it so that they didn't bark. And then when he finally saw that reflection, we were under 100 with him. And the first thing he does is bark. And the first thing I do when an elk, cow, or bull barks, I bark back and then bugle immediately. And so he would probably, he started off like just strictly barking at us. He couldn't smell us, couldn't see us. And every time he would do that, I would bark with a quick bugle behind it. And I would say after about 10 barks, his bark now became a bark chuckle, a bark chuckle grunt. And what ended up happening was, he wouldn't leave, but he wouldn't come in any closer than a hundred yards. And we kept getting flashes of him and I got eyes on him. He was a five by six. He was a handsome bull. He was a boy I would definitely shot. He was like a good looking herd bull, nothing crazy big, but just a really good representation of where we were hunting. Basically we had to walk away from him guys. Like we kind of blew it, uh, but we did, we kind of like we're between him and his cows. He wasn't going to leave. He wasn't going to full bugle anymore. He was gonna, just going to keep bark chuckling. And I was like, Jake, let's, let's go. I saw him. That's what I wanted to do is get eyes on them. This is day one. And so we went back to the truck. Yeah. And one of the things that Dan mentioned and like, it's always crossed my mind and I always think about it, but I've never really thought about it in the way he explained is this new unit that we're in, we're walking around and we're not like taking breaks. We're not sleeping. We're not like blowing opportunities through the day. And what we're doing is we're trying to stay on elk. We're moving around and we're learning the area. So we're learning benches. We're learning where the water is. We're learning drainages. Like we're learning all that stuff. And that is like getting put into these little files in your brain because you're going to be hunting there for days and days and days. And if you hear a bugle in an area that you've been to, you're like, hey, I know there's a bench there. Hey, I know there's water there. And then you can figure out how to get in on those elk based off of the wind and you know the terrain. So e-scouting is one thing. But actually being there in person and seeing the country, seeing the terrain and making those little mental notes, that's what we were doing that entire morning. So even though that we were on that bowl and it didn't work out, like we're walking out, we know where his bedding area is. We know where they're getting water and we know where they feed. So like that little herd 
just based off of morning one, we kind of have that herd kind of figured out what they're doing. And there'll be more to come on that. So we went back to the truck. The daylight is burning, and we wanted to go check out basically the rest of the unit, drive some roads, get familiar with the systems, snoop around, check out hunting pressure. You can kind of tell when there's a, a, a hunting camp on Labor Day weekend. They usually have an archery target out versus just regular old campers because it was Labor Day weekend. And I can honestly say I've never seen so many people that were not hunting in a national forest, rising razors and side-by-sides and just camping and having a good time and enjoying the holiday. So what we decided to do after about two hours of driving through the unit was I was like, we need to go here. And this part of the unit is so remote that you actually have to leave the unit you're in, drive around this probably the world's shittiest road and then come up into the back into your unit. And, uh, that's where we decided to go. Was it a good decision? I'm not sure, but we got there, set up our new, we actually set up a camp finally. And we went hiked straight back in there to a master vantage. That was probably unrivaled. If I've been, I don't know if I've ever seen a better place conducive for glassing and spotting and stocking elk. Yeah, no, it, it's a giant old burn. That's all Canyon country. Yeah. It, that area is, is pretty phenomenal. And what you can do there as far as hunting goes, glassing, calling, like it blew my mind coming from Idaho, going to that. And I get excited filming. I get excited following Dan around and I don't even have a bow. And it's like, I'm getting pumped. Like we're seeing elk, we're hearing elk like that terrain and, the previous year before you guys kind of know how our New Mexico hunt went. And like, this is like, we're not even on the same planet. Like this is a totally different hunting environment. Yeah, it is. So when we got there, Jake and I split up, you went one way, I went the other. And the, the whole principle was to get the spotting scopes out, get the glass working, find out. Jake found a really big six point, but he was in the other unit. I mean, we were hunting right up against the other unit, so we ignored him. Jake also found a really stud, old five-point. I swear he's on the decline. You can just tell by his facial features, his Roman nose. He's just a big old mature bull bedded, but he was a five. I think he might even been a little bit broke off. I can't remember exactly, but uh, we didn't go after him. He was in our unit. And then I found four five-points feeding very close to me, but didn't make a move. That was day one. We actually did do some night bugling that night. That involves riding your dirt bike, coasting down. Obviously, you're not having your engine on. Like coasting down, stopping, calling, listening, repeating. And so we went to bed really late that night, but we did. I think we got a couple bugles to answer us. Next morning, I had this great idea to like go check out this little bit lower canyon country that had more water, more green. You know, I was just kind of like, we hadn't seen a cow elk yet. And I was worried this was like bachelor grounds, which not necessarily a bad thing. I just ain't seen, I just figured bigger bulls would be with cows by now. It's September 3rd. So we went and checked out this new area. Didn't see much sign. Only heard a couple of faint bugles. Ran into another guy in a truck hunting and pulled out and went back to our master vantage. I was a little bit butthurt because when we got to our master vantage, it was probably 9, 30, 10. That's pretty late in the day. And I knew we weren't probably going to glass nothing up, but we tried anyways. And then I convinced you to let's go down this finger quite a ways and just send out some bugles. 
and maybe we'll get something to answer us. Yeah. The terrain, it's not like, hey, let's just go for this little walk. Like, the terrain's pretty, like, there is some blowdown. There's a lot of, like, this buckbrush kind of stuff. Like, this is not thick North Idaho, but it's not like you're walking down a trail either. We didn't have the morning we wanted to, so we were going to make it work. Like, we were going to find elk. So, we went down a spot because we knew... There wasn't any roads down there and where we came from, like there's hunters on trucks and it's like, okay, there's too many people in this spot. Let's go somewhere where people don't want to go. And that that's where we went. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Like, and I even said on video, I'm like, this is a bad decision area where like, you're going to maybe possibly regret shooting an elk. But I said, screw it. Let's go make some bad decisions. So anyways, long story short is I did end up getting a bull to answer me quite a ways down there. And we didn't see him first, so we started glassing as soon as we heard the first bugle. And I think, Jake, you pulled him up and said, there he is. And then uh, I'm like, oh, he's got a friend. It was a nice five-point and a four-point hanging out together about 900 yards away from that bugle that I sent out. I hit him. You know what? I didn't bugle. I cow called. He answered a cow call. That's very important. I always start my location sequence with cow call. That way I can kind of save my bugle as my ace in the hole. If I end up getting a good encounter with this bull, I can, if it makes sense to you elk hunters out there, I don't want them to know there's a bull with these cows yet, unless we're kind of getting close. And then maybe I can get him to close distances because there is a bull with these cows. But anyways, cow call, he answers. And then I just stuck with the cow call. Long story short is he came from 850 and eventually we called him in the wide open burn all the way up to me past Jake. So I set Jake up as the shooter but just with the camera and I left my bow on my backpack because I'd already determined I wasn't going to shoot this bull, but we wanted to see if we can get him as close as possible. And we just did that by just doing a handful of cow calls. He basically closed from 850 all the way to me at four yards. I made a reel about it. It's on Instagram. It's pretty cool. Great footage. You have to watch the series. Freaking awesome. Called him into four yards and then he kind of wouldn't go away after he smelled us. He still wouldn't go away. He was pretty much convinced there was a cow there. After that, we hiked all the way back to the truck and we were going to go hunt the evening in a different area, but we weren't going to move camps. We were going to go to the lower ground where one of one guy told us he'd seen like 30 cows coming up every night out of this flat. And I was like, well, there's got to be a big bull with these cows. And if you remember, it was like, oh crap. Do you see that storm coming? Yep. We're going to get rained out. And do we really want to stay here? I haven't seen a cow yet. I don't think this place is going to have a lot of bugling action. We decided to pull the stakes. We only stayed there one night. Yeah. And one of the big things with, with this bull calling him in, a lot of you probably haven't killed a bull or had an experience like that, but that bull could hear those cow calls from that far away. And hearing him come in and listening to the different sounds that he's making, like all those things are like super important whether it's like a chuckle, a normal bugle, or like even just him like grunting, like some of the sounds that he was making, it's important to know and like watching the elk's body language and then seeing like when he would stop, like all of those things are super important. But with us being positioned how we were and having our wind that we were, if we wanted to shoot that bull, we could have shot that bull a hundred times. Where he came in with Dan calling and me being up front as the shooter, he came in less than 20 yards to me and then he kind of walked around like he was trying to get Dan's wind and he went up broadside and kind of turned. So like that setup for you guys that are going to do a collar shooter setup, like it worked perfect. Like that bull could have been shot so many times. 
Yep. So once that storm came in, we packed up camp and we decided to go to another part of the unit that we hadn't been to yet. And it kind of was similar to where we were. It wasn't as canyony. It had more timber, but it still was an old burn. That's where I wanted to go check out. We actually had just enough time to get a quick evening hunt in. We pull up off the National Forest and I mean, we didn't even set up camp. We're just unloading dirt bikes, grabbing our backpacks, getting our bikes on. And this guy camped maybe a hundred yards from us comes rolling over. Jake, you probably know this about me, but I, I really try not to talk to anyone when I'm out hunting. <laughs> That's probably the nicest way to say it. You're I'm the exact a, opposite of your dad. Yeah. My dad wants to talk to everybody <laughs> and try to get glean information. I don't want your information. Your information's great for you to have. I'll figure it out. It's not a pride thing. It's just, I'm not there to, to talk and hang out. I'm there to go figure it out myself. It's just, just my way I'm wired. That's why some of you like me and why some people probably don't like me and that's okay. This guy comes up and introduces himself and I was like, Hey, what's going on? And I remember I was really short answers and I was like, he's like, where are you guys from? And I was like, up oh, from Washington. He's like, okay, what units are you hunting? What tag do you have? Where are you going? All this kind of stuff. And I was like, Hey, we just got here. We don't know. And I started my dirt bike up to kind of give him like, uh, I guess that's a passive aggressive move, but it was like, Dirt bike's on, not in the mood to talk. We have like an hour and a half of daylight left. Don't worry about us. We'll stay out of your way. He was a guide. He had clients out. He wanted to make sure we weren't going where his clients were sitting water. That's what we figured out, but we weren't going towards any water sources anyways. We were going high to glass. That evening, we got up into an old burn. We walked over um, an, old, an old logging road that has one million downfall over it, and we just got right into the middle of the old burn and I don't know exactly all the food sources in that burn, but obviously grass, obviously no trees, just matchsticks, and then acorns. That's about it, really. Yeah. No manzanita or anything like that, but just acorns and grass and thick, aldery, and we just glass got right on a five point, 220, 230 yards from us. Yep. He had how many cows? He probably had at least six cows, but the interesting thing, when we rolled up on that road, and we're glassing like half a mile away. It's like, we didn't even notice that bull was right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. He was right under our nose. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, wow. But, you know, he, we weren't going to try to shoot him either. But we did try to like cow call a little bit and see if he'd bugle to maybe get other bulls to answer. Because real bulls get other real bulls to bugle. He didn't, he didn't want to talk at all. But he definitely like got out of his bed, kind of walked around, looked our direction. But didn't come in. He had his cows, but that was it. That's all we saw for elk that night. So once again, what do we do? Instead of going to bed when everyone else goes to bed, you get back to camp, you eat dinner, you get back on the dirt bike and you go do night bugling. And in this instance, I wanted to learn how to get higher than we went. And I knew the way that we went was that logging road was, I'm not, I mean, I'm not chainsawing that out. No way. And so I, it took us a while, but if you remember, it was my third try, my third little old trail I tried. These are old roads. The third one got us all the way up into the timber above, and that's where we kind of figured out, did some night bugling. That's kind of where we wanted to be the next day, and so that's what we did. Well, and that, that did a couple things. So, like, we're looking on Onyx. There's trails on Onyx that we can figure out how to get to spots, but we need to physically know that we can get there. But the other thing we're doing is we're looking at the train. We're seeing how bad these trails are, but we're also seeing other hunting camps. So we know where people are. So sometimes that bothers people. Sometimes it doesn't, but we know where to get to, to get on those elk. And 
one of the things that, that Dan does and I do too is you look at when you left camp and you look at how long it took you to get to this spot where you're going to be hunting to figure out how long that takes you. That way you know in the morning, I need to leave by this time to get there to hunt in the morning. Yep, logistics. And that's what we figured out. So that next morning we jammed up there in the dark. I can't remember exactly what happened, but it like the, that, that third and fourth day just kind of blurred together of hunting the same area. Mornings weren't really popping the way we wanted. Like we weren't hearing a lot of bugles, but we did on the day three get in on a herd bull and we took an angle because he was pushing his cows through the timber and they were probably a mile away. We cut that distance really fast. And then next thing you know, I told Jake, like, I'm like, okay, turn your camera on. Like, we're, this is about to go down. And we wrapped around one little elk trail, come around the corner, and the bull bugles just above us. And I'm like, look back at Jake. I'm like, all right, dude, like, like I'm going to sneak in and shoot him. Turn around and take one step, and there's these three cows that are lagging behind and they bust us they don't bark, but they take off running towards the bull. And that's all that's got to happen for your hunt to pretty much not be over. I'm just saying the bull doesn't have to hear a bark to know something's up. He can read the body language of the cows and sure enough, like he knew something was up and he never bugled again until they made it all the way to their bedroom, which made it really hard for us. We just had to follow their tracks. We had to, you know, when you're following elk in the morning, the only thing cool is that they only travel with the wind in their face. So if you're behind them, you're not going to get winded either. But we followed that herd, put that bull to bed, let it get, you know, the dust settle, made a few vocalizations, couldn't really get him to answer, took an insanely long nap, finally gave up on that bull. We heard a couple other bugles that morning, not far, assumed they were satellites, but wanted to inspect and i mean we hopped over and dropped in and next thing you know we got calves running in yep and then we got a bull to answer and his he did he he got me guys he bugled so soft that i thought he was further away so i took two steps around a tree to get ready to like get into my shooting lanes he's right there broadside 40 this bull sounded like he was 150 yards away when he made that last bugle. Yep. So I take two steps around the tree and he's staring right at me and he's a nice little six point bull and he won eighties and he's out. But we had heard one more bull piping off. The calves hadn't seen us yet. They're what 50 yards away. Yep. And then they came in closer and closer and closer. So we started cow calling and then we moved up and you tell them about the, the five point that like, wouldn't stop raking the tree right in front of us. That was crazy. Yeah, that that area, I mean, it's pretty cool. So like having that bull do that and leaving and we're we're fairly close to the first spot that we had went to and we saw that bull with those cows. Like we're we're in that general area. So there's a lot of elk in that area. The little bull, he comes in, he rakes, he kind of does his thing and we know that we're not going to shoot him, but just watching elk up that close is is pretty significant. I don't remember how the rest of that day went. I don't remember getting on any other elk that day. Well, no, that five point, um, basically we got in some thick stuff and called him right in. I, I definitely had one shot opportunity on him at like 18 yards. He would just, he could, it was so thick. He couldn't see us. I felt like I was in North Idaho where like 
he'd rake and then he'd try to display. And then anytime he'd turn his back to us, I would do a quick little like bark bugle at him and we'd rake a tree. And then he just, he did that forever, like 20 minutes. And he, I mean, he offered me a shot several times. The footage isn't great because it's so thick, but he's just a handsome little devil. That rest of the evening, no, we, we ended up going all the way down out of the timber into the burn, glassing, yep. splitting up glassing. We saw you spotted a, like a spike and a yeah. cows, but no bulls, no bugles. And then we hiked out and we found that waller yep. with, with the trail camera on it. And that was it. We hiked back to the dirt bikes. Next morning, we're back in the same freaking spot and we're on the same herd bull, but we, instead of driving all the way around on our bikes, we just drove to the first road by camp and decided to hike They'll take the long way hiking, but we knew that hey, we might catch these elk in the burn. We're going to leave a little earlier than normal. We're going to listen for bugles in the dark. And if the elk are pushing, we'll just stay behind them and coyote the herd in the dark. And that's exactly what happened. Yep. We were going up that trail and there was bulls bugling all around us. Yeah. And we just kind of followed bugles and stayed on an elk trail. And eventually as it got light, we ran into the elk. And it was pretty, from where we parked the bikes until we started walking up, we're hearing elk from below us to spots where we haven't been. And we're like 99% sure it is that herd bull that we had heard the day before. And we're, we're not just like lamelessly walking through the woods. Like we are on a trail that Dan found. You can see that there's tracks from elk. So knowing the difference between cattle and elk tracks is kind of significant because there is both in this area. We're walking up and there's sign where the elk had been through. So we're just walking, just kind of slow, paying attention. And we kind of came around this little bend and we were able to pick up cows at probably 80 yards in front of us. Are you like me? Do you just love trail cameras? Slightly addicted to them? Yeah, guilty as charged. I work with SpyPoint. They have several affordable trail cameras. Some are going to be cellular. Some are going to be non-cellular. So the difference is being, one, the Force Pro, non-cellular, very affordable, extremely reliable, just under $200. Or you can look up the Link S, that's the dark, or the Micro LTE Twin, where you get a two-pack of cellulars. They come with the SIM cards, so you don't need to pay out-of-pocket monthly to utilize your cellular trail cameras. You can download the free app and get your 100 photos a month that you choose. Cell trail cameras are where it's at, where legal, and where you have at least two bars. You're going to get extremely important real-time information, and you don't have to go in and disturb your area, get your in the ground and bump any animals. I like trail cameras from a biological standpoint. I don't really depend on them to get animals killed, but I do depend on them to understand animal behavior, biology, animal densities, and see if I can focus on patterns where I can take advantage and know how to get in and get out of these places. So I am addicted to trail cams. I love the app. It's bulletproof from SpyPoint. So check out SpyPoint when you get a hot minute or next time you're in the market for a trail camera. If you're looking for cellular, I'm probably going to recommend the Link S Dark over all of them. But if you're on a budget, get the Link Micro Twin 2-pack where you have two cell phone trail cameras working for you under $200. Or if you just want to run normal trail cameras, check out the Force Pro. There's a couple different versions out there. I use the Force Pro or the Force 20 both are really sweet and then last but not least if you already have a trail camera and you want to turn it into a cell phone trail camera they have a product for you called the cell link 59.99 attaches to your existing trail camera you don't have to have a sim card and it will start sending you photos to your phone check out spypoint.com for more information vortex optics a partner of elk shape since 2010 veteran known based out of wisconsin the vip warranty itself that's transferable whether you buy your vortex optics used from a buddy or buy it retail from a store that vip warranty follows your product no questions asked you break it they fix it we're gonna give you guys a quick little tip being a handful of months away from elk season 
one thing you can do right now, and this tip is presented by Vortex, is that you can start writing on the calendar your hunt plan, the dates that you plan on leaving, so that your wife or your spouse knows what you're thinking ahead of time. Sounds silly, but I used to not communicate very well with my wife, and then surprise her right at hunting season, and then, hey, I'm going to be gone the entire month. Not anymore. Now, as soon as I draw a tag or have a hunt plan secured, I'm up on the calendar writing it down and going over with it. Even though she's probably gnashing her teeth a little bit at me, at least it gives her plenty of time to plan around and make sure that we are on the same page. Happy wife is a happy life, and to hunt your best, things need to be dialed at home. This tip was brought to you by Vortex. Go to Vortex Wear and use the discount code Elkshape to save 20% on your workout scouting gear that Vortex Wear makes. Appreciate you guys' support. Matthews Archery out of Sparta, Wisconsin, rocking the V3X29 and 33. I think you guys know this by now, but I'm pretty much in love with that 29. It fits me like a glove. I like the 33. It's probably my favorite bow to shoot. But when we're talking about chasing elk in the elk woods, I'm going to pack that 29 around. Fits me a little bit better. I shoot it a little bit better. You should go test drive a V3X. I think it's their best product to date. And you can really streamline your setup by using the bridge lock to get the sight in the middle of the riser. You have the new Low Pro quivers that fit tighter than anything has ever fit to a bow. You can really streamline your setup with the new technology from Matthews. Plus, they run the cross centric cams, so you can easily switch out mods. You don't have to switch out limbs if you want to change your draw weight, your draw length, or your let off. All that can be done without a press. Matthews Archery, killing it. And I love shooting my Matthews. I'm absolutely in love. You guys should go check it out at a dealer near you. Yeah, and, and at one point very close to where it was like they were in, you know, 40 yards and just could not see the bull. And he was right there bugling. But the cows pick us off. They don't bark, but they make body language communication to the herd bull. He shuts up. And if you remember... We kind of like just followed his tracks and they led us to that beautiful water tank up in the high timber. And I was like, okay, that's it. We're sitting this the rest of the day. This is just, it's been, it's in the you know mid eighties. It's hot. These elk need water. We built a brush blind. We spent a lot of time there. And then I'd say about five o'clock, both of our ADHDs kicked in and we're like, can't sit this anymore. I mean, we sat there all day. Well, those, we called those elk in. We were sitting there. And oh, yeah. Saw, like, Shoot. We called in three spikes, yep. <laughs> a cow, a calf. And we weren't there long. Like, we were sitting there talking, normal, and, like, you were like, hey, there's an elk. And it's like, oh. Yeah. So that happened right as soon as we built the brush blind. We got in it, called elk in. No bulls, like, no shooter bulls. And I think about 5 o'clock, we got out of the brush blind. I will say I, I put a show camera on that water, and I never did go get that camera. So if you find that water tank in that camera, it's a... It's from Spy Points, a Force 20. Uh, it's on video mode. Feel free to check the card. Don't delete anything and don't steal it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, what do we do from there? Oh, once we gave up on the water spot, we kind of jammed down a little bit. And we found, I think I remember I found flagging. And I was like, oh, did somebody shoot an elk? And then I found blood. That was a couple days old. I was like, oh, yeah, man, looks like somebody shot a bull in here. And then not two seconds later, I'm like, stop, stop. See a couple cows feeding out. And then we see a nice little five come out and they're just feeding quietly. And so we just start shadowing them and they take us on a hell of a journey. We follow them from their bedding to where they want to feed. And we get into a tremendous amount of bugling and we think it's a really big bull. And he's got like, how many cows? Cause you remember we had to go through that um, oak brush from hell, yep. And then we went dropped down through the aspens, and then we popped up, and he's bugling, and you can like hear him breathing, but we can't get eyes on him yet. Yeah. And then he, so he just somehow slips away and starts raking, and then we catch up, and then we have to stop because there's cows between us and him, and we're pegged, and then finally the cows like feed just out of sight, so we go up, and we finally rise, and there he is. 45 yards away 
threw some brush. You got him on video. He's only a five by five running. How many cows? Yeah, he sounded really big. Um, I he bet sounded he had, like a monster. Yeah, I bet he had probably 15 cows. I only saw maybe six or seven of them, but you can hear them. Like, you know there's more elk in there. And so they're feeding. we got an hour of daylight left. We've, like, been in on him two, I think, two times at that point. Hadn't got a shot. Hadn't got busted. We're just, like, every time he bugles, we got his location. We're moving, getting in position, and trying to dodge cows and calves. Finally we realized that we just like, they're feeding too fast. There's only 30 minutes of daylight left. And I looked at you and I'm like, dude, I just, I'm going to challenge him because I'm tired of following him. He hasn't given us a shot yet. We've been with him for two hours. We've been under 50 twice and I haven't got a shot. And he's, you know, let's just call him in. I let out one bugle and the, they all run. Literally, they all, like, the cows don't really know what's going on. They're kind of like, who's that? You could just tell the cows weren't committed to this bull. Yeah. He, this bull is running a herd that he has no business running. The big bulls just haven't showed up yet. That kind of kept being the theme of the first three days was like, how the hell are all these five points running these big herds? I mean, maybe that blood that we found was a bull that got shot that was running that herd or whatever. Right. But yeah. it, it was weird. Like, they, they did not like that. And they, they were out. So we walk ashamed it all the way back to the flags, short ride to camp, no night bugling that night. Um, but what we did do is we went to bed and I made us get up at four in the morning, which is like three in the morning, our time with our basically just enough time to throw down oatmeal, protein, coffee, put your backpack on. And we were going to go on over an hour long dirt bike ride. Not on a dirt bike trail, on a national forest road, but I got to tell you, I can, well, here's the proof. If we had taken my truck, we would have been able to listen to music, have the heater on, but it would have taken probably an hour 20 to get to this spot. Oh yeah. Twice slow. I bet it took us 35 minutes. Okay. So we basically pull up 35 minute dirt bike ride. Thought it would take over an hour, but dirt bikes are fast and especially... Since we put the Night Force little mini light bar on our dirt bikes, it's just uh, if you're going to buy any upgrades for your dirt bike, buy that little light bar. I think it's $199, and it lights up the world. Uh, I just love it, man. And so you can really see out in front. We made good time, but we got there too early. And I've said that before in this podcast, so we didn't even like – it's okay to maybe bugle from the parking spot or cow call, but – Make sure they're not right there. I've done that in the past. I've bumped elk in the dark and it makes for a longer day. We waited for it to get light and we're kind of back where we started originally day one in this giant meadow system that's surrounded by two mountains with timber. And we know the elk are going to be feeding and getting water and coming out and we're going to catch them in transition. We actually had to go quite a ways further up this drainage to catch our first bugle. And it was so faint, but it sounded so good. And by the time we made it up there, they weren't in the meadow anymore. And we kind of had to guess which finger they went up. We guessed wrong. We ended up topping out at the very top. And I remember we, we, we hit a barbed wire fence at the top of the mountain, like a cattle fence. I, as soon as I hit that fence, I just kind of walked along that fence. And I finally found a spot where it had elk hair on it, tracks on both sides. I'm like, okay, they cross here. I step over the fence. We're in National Forest. Let out 
couple cow calls, and we get several bugles. All of a sudden, we're back in the game. And I love that about elk hunting. It's like, okay, we just elk hiked for three hours. We blew it. There was elk here. We can't find them. They're not talking, et cetera, et cetera. And then, boom, you're back in the game. I love that emotional roller coaster. I don't know yeah. what it is, but I'm, I'm addicted. So we cross the fence, get the bulls to answer. Slide on over on top of this ridge, get to the saddle, stop for a second, bull bugles, he's right below us. Did you get him on camera? I think we have audio of him, and oh, definitely. Where, where we were, there's like a bull below us to the right bugling, there's a bull in front of us down low bugling, and then we can't tell if there's something on the other side or out in front on our same contour, but... And then there's a really good sounding dinosaur yep. on top of this other ridge furthest from us and he sounds like the one we want to go check out so this boy i take a peek he's a nice little five by five weird and he's just feeding and i look to my left and then here comes his cows through the saddle and i don't know man cows are just a little bit more observant than uh bulls these things picked me off like in two seconds if they hadn't come through the saddle we probably could have like filmed that bull at 15, 20 yards, because the way he was feeding, he was going to walk right broadside at us. Wasn't going to shoot him. But as soon as those cows spooked, he ran with them. And then we had to be like, all right, do you want to go after that bull? No, let's go after the good sounding bull. So took us a few minutes. We crested the top of this ridge. And that reminds me, when we got to the top of that ridge, I told you, I think there was a bull up here bugling as well. And you're like, yeah. So I let out a few sounds. Nothing. I'm like, okay, maybe not. Walk 50 more yards, and this bull explodes out of these little, like, Christmas trees. He was bedded right in the middle of them. He heard all the sounds, didn't answer, let us walk really close, and we got so close he saw us, didn't smell us, and bolted out of his bed. I hate that. So now I'm really frustrated because we've buggered two bulls. But the big bull's still kind of bugling every once in a while, so we get down to another saddle throw out a bugle, he answers. His He's got the best bugle I've heard thus far. Yeah, he's he's a dinosaur that deep. He's got a long bugle, you know, it comes up and then just like grunt. Like it's not the little bulls that we've been hearing that are just high-pitched, like Meh, like this little. No, he like, likes to, he likes the sound of his own scream. Yeah, oh yeah. And he's got a hell of a scream. Um, so we basically just try to pressure him and just push right in on him. It's late enough in the morning where they should be bedded. No, his whole herd leaves. And so we start literally paralleling this herd on the mountain for, I don't know, uh, probably three miles. Yeah. Definitely three miles. And he's bugling just enough for we can keep tabs on him. Well, finally, we have to make a decision, and I decide to go around the backside of a finger versus going over the front side because I was worried that he might get our wind. So we go around the backside, top out, and we're listening. He's not bugling anymore. And then he bugles. And this dude's close. He's straight below us. And not only is he bugling, but he's bugling every 15 seconds. And fact checkers, you guys can watch the public land hustle. To I think you got the audio. Yep. Like he, he bugles six, seven times in a row. And he's telling his cows to get their asses over to him. And while he's doing that, Jake and I are trying to slip in and get an arrow through his lungs. Well, we don't get in tight enough, fast enough. And he grits his herd and he takes them into a box canyon. We don't know this. So finally we give up. I'm like, okay, dude, I'm tired of just following this 
Cameron Haynes bull. And what I mean by that is he just likes to run for fun. He's just running for mile after mile. I don't feel like it. I'm done. Like, dude, if you're not going to bed and it's almost noon, have a nice day. We'll come, we'll we'll come up with a different plan. So you are like, Hey Dan, I'm going to get up, hike up here, make a phone call, drop the kids off and then we can hike out. So I'm sitting there waiting. (sighs) You take it from here. Yeah. So where we had just heard that big bull and they kind of, we're on top of this little knoll, but there's a ridge higher above us to the left. And those elk kind of disappeared around the corner. And we didn't really know where they went. So I go up the ridge. I actually had cell phone service, but I go up there to handle the morning business. And it's like open on top. And I can look down into the bottom of this box canyon at the top of like the Christmas trees that are down there. And there's open little patches. So I'm up there handling my business and I look and I can see cows below me, probably 500 yards, 400 yards ish. And I'm like, holy crap. I'm like, okay. So I finish, come back. I get Dan. We go back up to the ridge and we start looking down. And I don't know if you cow called or you bugled, but I I told you, I'm like, there's elk down there. I glassed the cows and it's cliffed out below us. We can't go straight at them, but I range find the cows. They're 200 yards below us on a steep face bedded up against some tall oaks. And I'm like, first off, that's a dumb place to bed because it's hot. You got pines over there for shade. They're bedded in the hot oaks. And so I just peek over, range them at 200. I'm like, the bull's got to be right there. Let out a bugle. He freaking answers. It's him. It's the dinosaur. Yeah. And then the lead cow just explodes out of her bed. And the wind's going up. So I don't know what. She just explodes and starts running away. And the whole herd follows. And I'm like, you know what? It's her. He's not the coward. It's she. She must be either really hot or just really not feeling like dealing with my lousy bugle or any other bull's bugle. And they take off running. And we actually were able to see that bull for the first time. Like we saw him come out. 336 point heavy. Yeah. Nice bull. Really nice bull. Better than anything we'd seen at that point by at least 50 inches. Not that I'm counting inches. I'm just saying a really mature bull. Well, we had to hike back to the dirt bikes. It's really hot that day. Like I'd say 90s. And it took us forever to get back to the bikes. And I'm like, you know what, Jake? I want to ride around this mountain and check out this other National Forest Road. I think it kind of goes towards where these elk went. And we don't know. Like, we only have Onyx. Got to go confirm. So we go drive this terrible road. And it takes us in the backside of this mountain. And we coast all the way down, park the bikes. As soon as we stop, the herd bull that we've been chasing is in a bugle fest with two other bulls. And I'm like, holy crap, Jake, let's go. And we're smoked at this point. Like we've already done, I think it was eight miles. It's hot. And now we got to go gain a thousand feet and we got to do it fast because bugle fest just don't last all day. And so here we are kind of walking as fast as jogging, trying to get to these elk. As soon as we get up to their level, it's crickets and it's open and it's kind of benchy and I can't find the elk. So we're basically now still hunting, glassing, trying to find, and a couple of cows bedded pick us off. They run, the whole herd leaves, and then walk a shame back to the bikes. Yeah. And by now, it's like, what time is it, man? Um, it's getting close to the evening. I remember at that time, we were pretty much out of food. We got water, like pretty much went through all of our snacks. We get back, and I know when we got back to the bike, there was some 
water sources that we wanted to check and just verify, look at tracks and kind of see what was going on. And there's like three, they're kind of little pond tanks, if you will. And we got on the bikes, went and we checked those spots and we were looking at like tracks coming in to the water. So we know where they're coming in, where they're coming out. Like we're trying to figure out this herd, like what they're doing. That is, that's kind of our plan on the way back to camp. Yeah. And so, and I, and if you remember, I was like, I, Jake, I want to move our camp. I don't want to do this hour ride. I want to hunt here. This seems to be the best spot for bugles. I want to hunt this big 330 bull. Um, so I looked at my maps. And I was like, okay, let's hunt the evening. And then we'll go get camp and move it. But let's hunt this meadow that we've been hunting. But let's come in from the north. And uh, there's a road right there. It takes you pretty high. And then we can drop in on the meadow. Well, we get to the road. It's got a sign that says closed. Road is closed. Walk in only. I'm usually really stoked about stuff like that, but I, in my mind, I wanted to get really close to where we had been in the morning and that was not close. And I had anticipated being able to cut two of the four miles off via dirt bike. No. So we park at the gate and we just start walking. We got an hour and a half of daylight left. And instead of taking this road all the way up high, we decided to peel off low and get into the meadow and you find a wallow and rub immediately on the edge of the meadow. And I'm like, dude, this is loaded in elk. Yeah. Yep. And it's a drop off. Like this is, it's not as steep as some of the stuff in Idaho we're used to, but like you're dropping elevation, which like, you know, you're going to have to gain that elevation coming back. And we drop and we kind of go through some of that oak brush. We find that water and we start side hilling in on this little trail and it kind of gets interesting from there. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we basically walked past that wallow and, we walked by a few rubs and we're just kind of like on this old, old, I'd call it a road, but I don't know what it like a trail that separates you from the meadow with running water and the pine trees that shoot straight up. And it's real benchy as you go up these mountains. So like you'll go up some steep section and then it'll bench out. You'll have a couple draws. These draws always seem to have like green grass that would be growing in your yard. Like you could mow it with a lawnmower and then aspens. So these little wide open pockets of aspens and these draws and then more pines. We walked a couple hundred yards past that wallow and, and we're like debating, do we stay here or do we go to our original plan, which is to get kind of where we were this morning. And a bull screams right after we're having this debate, which decides for us, we're not going nowhere. So eventually we decided to, this bull's not coming down to the meadow, but he's definitely staged one bench above the meadow. Wind's coming down. Let's sneak in. We slip, we slip in immediately. He's bugling enough on his own. All his cows are up feeding. We've got an hour of daylight left. We slide up on an elk trail. We get as close as we can. And then we run into too many cows and we just have to hold still. And we got cows at 40. We got cows at 50. We got cows at 120 and upwards of 300 yards in the aspens eating this grass and i'm seeing a bull running around up there chasing cows and he looks like a really big five by six or small six i can't tell he's a good looking bull huge fronts huge thirds got a good look at him we were there for how long oh i bet we were sitting there at least 20 minutes and we're just, we're not moving other than like, we'll pull our binos up really, really slow as you're looking at cows to make sure they're not looking at you, your glass, your look, and you put your binos away. But like, we're staying still, we have great wind and we're watching anywhere from 10 cows to five cows all in the open at one time. 
you know, just listening to them just talk all back and forth, and we could see that bull. And, I mean. I would say these elk are drifting at the same contour. They're not bottlenecking. They're not looking like they're going to be coming down the elk trail that we're on. And so I'm looking at Jake. I'm like, we got to back out. And so it took us probably 10 minutes of like, take a step, make sure you're not picked off. But we both were able to successfully back out, get out of sight, drop down, get back on our trail, go back up the trail between the meadow and the timber and find the next elk trail. Yep. We picked that elk trail. We go back up towards the bench. Now we've kind of basically got in front of these elk. We have the wind. We pop up just enough. And I'm like, stop, 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 stop. These cows, I'd say probably six or seven of the 30 are on the same trail as us and they're feeding slowly towards us. We're going to get busted. Yep. So now we have to back out once again, slowly. And as soon as we're out of sight, I'm like, okay, they're going to come down the trail we're on. Let's just get off the trail 15 to 30 yards, find the spot. And that's what we did. Yeah. And it's, I mean, we kind of guessed the direction the elk were traveling. We knew that if we would have stayed where we were, we we're going to get busted by the wind. So we backed out, got around, found another trail, and then we're just off of that trail and we're just trying to ambush them. So like we, we haven't made a call this entire time. The bull bugled, we located them, we got in on the herd. Now we backed out, we're side hill around like Dan hasn't made a cow call. Dan hasn't bugled nothing. Like we're just being sneaky. It's my favorite, quite honestly. Uh, but it's I, I, I say it on the, this podcast. I'm a chameleon. I mean, I'll sit a saddle. I'll sit a tree stand saddle. I will make vocalizations. I'll do spot and stock. I'll do pinch points, whatever it takes, as long as it's legal. I'll sit water. Doesn't matter. In this instance, it just doesn't make sense to call. So we peel off to the edge. I'd say a few minutes go by and I'm expecting cows to start funneling out on this trail single file. And then I hear this sound that I've only heard one other time. And the other time I heard it was a cow was making it. And it's like they're mewing, but it's like it's a cow mew that's kind of estrusy, like really like two note. But and then you combine that with a pig squealing. Seriously. That's the sound. And the cow that was making that sound was being chased by a wolf in North Idaho. And she ended up running right by me. And I almost got a shot at the wolf. This was many years ago. So I've heard that sound before. So it's not a sound that you hear very often. And it's certainly not a sound that I was expecting to hear while we're basically ambushing this trail. But I hear it. And I look up the trail. And here comes a five point. And he's the one responsible for making this sound. And he's on a dead run away from the herd running down the mountain. And this happened so fast, Jake, did you, you didn't even turn the camera on. No, like I'm like shocked, like what is making that sound? Like it, at first, like I was just blown away that that was even an elk. <laughs> Buck knives out of Post Falls, Idaho. My neighbor in 2020, I completely buried a knife into my hand and it was not a fixed blade. It was one of those scalpel replaceable ones that break real easy. And I buried it so deep that I actually, the doctor recommended surgery, which I might've should have listened, but I didn't. Anyways, several stitches later in a week of elk hunting down the drain, I got my hand healed up. Since that day, I've vowed not to use scalpels anymore in the field. And so I've switched back to buck knives, tried and true since 1902, made in America, tremendous amount of history. They're also my everyday carry. So you should check out the new everyday carry 22 lineup from buck knives. They got the 110 slim pro T 
TXR. That's probably my all-time favorite for everyday carry. You can also check out the 110 Hunter Sport Knife or the 112 Ranger 50th Anniversary Edition. If you're looking for a skinner, I would maybe consider the customizable 113 Ranger Skinner Knife. That's the knife that I customized for all my Elk Shape Camp, Spirit of Elk Shape Camp Awards, and that's the knife that we used to skin all my elk in 2021. If there's a knife out there that you need, they can customize it or you can peruse their website. Buck Knives is a huge supporter of Elk Shape. We appreciate them and we love being their neighbor. Please be careful when you're breaking down your animal and consider switching to a fixed blade just for me. Crispy USA. Crispy Boots. My favorite boots because they don't require any break-in, period. For stocking any animal out west, it's Laponia GTX. This is a very affordable boot. This is not a $500 boot. It's very athletic and it's a quiet boot and it's definitely something that could help you sneak in tighter to animals. So if you're a stalker, you might want to check out Laponia GTX. If you're looking for another affordable boot that's perfect for elk hunting, it's the Colorado GTX. I know cameraman Jake and myself, that's our both our favorite number one boot from Crispy. It's the one that gets the most use and two is one. I have two pairs because I like to switch out boots every day. The Colorados are not insulated, which is great for me to keep my feet from sweating. It has board lasting mechanical construction. It includes the ABSS ankle support system, which helps propel you forward. It's got a four flex rating. They're protected with Kevlar triple stitching, polyurethane coated, and leather rand. The height is eight inches and one boot weighs under two pounds. They're super light. They're fast. They're very athletic to help you keep up with elk. The last thing I want to mention about boots is number one, all your hunting starts from the ground up. Choose wisely. Number two, consider putting sheep feet inside any pair of boots that you rock. Sheep feet are a full length custom orthotic built for your feet specifically. Use the discount code ElkShape. It'll take 10% off your purchase. I run sheep feet in every piece of boot I wear. I obviously have several pairs of boots, but the sheep feet are always in there. I think they help me leak less energy every stride, every step. They keep my feet strong and durable. And the last thing I would want for any of you hunting is to have foot issues while trying to hunt. Hunt your best. Include sheep feet on your must list for 2022. Well, as soon as this five point makes it to the meadow, he stops, turns around, panting, and then we hear a bugle like no other. And this bugle is so fierce that I actually kind of almost was like scared of this bull. I was like, good Lord, what animal, what beast could make a sound that scary? So this five point just got ran out of the herd by this bull. I'm like, holy crap. And then this bull comes down within archery range, but I can't see him because he. there's two trails. You see one that goes a little higher and the obvious one that goes a little lower that we were on. Well, he didn't take the obvious one. He took the high one, got to this high spot, and he bugled one more time at this five point, basically explaining to him, you don't belong here, son. We looked at each other like, okay, this good stuff's going to happen. Good stuff happens when you're hanging out close to elk for a long time and you're not getting busted. Good stuff happens. Well, I don't know how much time goes by, but I start seeing a couple cows pop out and they're kind of between the two trails and they're not going to see us. We got the win. This is going to be great. And then I hear that same sound again. Yep. <laughs> Fortunately, this time Jake turned on the camera. I look up the trail. It's a bull. He's running down the trail. He's squealing like a pig slash estrus cow sound running for his life. And I recognize this bull. This is the herd bull that we just saw before we had to back out the first time. I'm going to shoot this bull. This is a nice bull. So he's coming down the trail. I come to full draw. He comes into my lane. A cow call. He slams on the brakes. 25-yard shot. Sent it. And I knew the shot was good immediately. Like I could just, the arrow passed through him like butter. And it's like, he didn't even know he got shot. He like kind of like stopped for a second and then walked 15 yards up the hill. And then just kind of like looks back towards our direction. Like, what was that? I had just double lunged him. What do you do when a bull standing there and you already shot him? You shoot him again. So I throw another iron wheel on. 40 yards, 
right on the shoulder, sent it. And that second shot almost dropped him in his tracks like a rifle. Yeah, it was pretty. The first shot, I didn't see your arrow, but I could hear that sound, and I knew it was a good shot. The second shot, I'm watching through the screen on the camera, and it, like, he drops like you would have shot him with a thirty out 6 and I'm just, like, blown away. And he kind of does a 180 and goes up the hill towards those cows, and then he stops up there. Yeah, so basically double long 25 through the shoulder, and he's quartering away, by the way, so through the shoulder, out the neck, both pass-throughs. He falls, gets up, makes it just over the top where I can't shoot him again, and I would if I could. I shoot until they're on the ground. Um, and then these cows are, like, freaking out, like, dude, what's wrong with you, you spaz? What's going on? And I'm looking back at Jake. I'm like, holy crap, that just happened. And I'm sure he's going to die. Like, I feel really confident. And then that giant bull bugles. So we witnessed a herd bull show up and take over the herd. He pushed the five point out. He pushed the five by six, which is what I shot out. And that bull is nice. So I never got eyes on this bull. I just heard him bugle six, seven, 30 more times that night as we were cutting up my bull. Never got eyes on him, but he was like scary sounding bull. So we got to witness that was September 6th. That's when big bulls were spotted for the first time on our hunt. Well, and the other thing that happened that I've never personally seen is after that bull got shot twice, he went up, he's up there with the cows. He's not running away. He's up there hanging out, dying. And that big bull bugles, comes down, kind of does his thing. And the cows freak out because that bull is probably starting to tip over doing the wobbly thing. The cows run. That bull runs back towards us down the hill and we watch him pile up like in front of us like there's no tracking we watch him like yep. fall over we know exactly where he is so i want to get to the good stuff and obviously guys this podcast we try to keep it at an hour so we're only going to be able to cover the new mexico hunt today we still got to cover jake's wyoming my idaho and montana we'll do it on the next episode and uh, but let's just finish with this so this was my first time committing to the iron will broadhead Single bevel. I've killed two bears with it, and I've really been impressed with the blood trails, the entry exit holes, all that. Also, Bill is a friend of mine who I respect him as a bow hunter and an engineer, and he's a really good human being. And I would strongly encourage you all to consider using his products because I just don't think there's anything else out there that good material, that quality. The price point's high. And that is relative to where you're at, you know, financially or whatever, but I'm going to be, keep it real. So I'm just going to kind of give you my cliff notes version is after we broke down the bull and heard four other giant bulls bugling at each other the entire time while we're cutting it up. And we do have the audio cause we kept the cameras rolling. So there's just a giant bugle fest going on in the meadow on September 6th while Jake and I are breaking down this bull. We get the bull broke down. We get it all in bags. And I told Jake, I'm going to go get my arrows because I never looked for them. And I saw them both pass through. So I go get both arrows. Both were at least 25 yards past the shot. Like they went forever. They never slowed down. When we were breaking down the bull, I had a tough time finding where my first shot was hit the animal, which is crazy, right? Because I just cut it up. But before we even started cutting it up, 
I had to look really close because it was not obvious because it does not leave a big hole in the elk where I shot my elk. That first one was passed through and the two blade with bleeders just didn't leave a huge hole. When I went to get my arrows, the only blood on the ground was blood coming out of the bull's mouth from the lung shot. There was no blood coming out either side. Now here's the other part that's kind of impressive about the iron wheel. The second shot, which is, was quartering away, I probably should have aimed further back, but I freaking rushed that shot just to get another one in him. It went through his shoulder, and I mean like through his shoulder blade, not the thick part, not the T part, but the lateral part, sheared that shoulder blade basically off and exited out the neck and went 25 more yards. Yeah. I don't think any other broadhead can do that kind of penetration. And I, my total weight is 443 grains. It's 125 grain head. I'm shooting a 78 pound bow. My draw length is Smurf at 27 inches. That arrow's traveling 280, but it's not a heavy arrow. And it just went through that bull like butter. That shot through the shoulder and out the neck, there was not hardly any blood as well. So here's the dichotomy, and this is me just being severely honest. It's almost like, well, if you're going to shoot an elk frontal, quartering two, whether it be behind the shoulder or quartering two in front of the shoulder, you're going to want to iron will because you're going to get through stuff to get to the good stuff. You're not always going to get a good blood trail. I had a better blood trail on my bear than I did my elk, which is crazy. That scares me when you're hunting solo because you might be tracking solo and that can be really daunting. It also can be a pain in the ass to track blood with somebody who sucks and walks all over the crime scene. But if you have a good hunting partner, it's easier to trail with somebody and really like stay on tracks and stay at last blood and, and always confirm with blood. I just didn't get a lot of blood on the ground and I put two arrows through that elk. That was disappointing. Um, and the only blood came out. Now the internal damage was insane because that broadhead corkscrews inside. And that was obvious. And I have the shoulder on that elk. It's in the cooler right now. I'm going to take some pictures of what that broadhead did to that shoulder. So a little teaser for the next episode is I did not use iron wheel broadhead on my next hunt because I was solo in Idaho I didn't have the luxury of having Jake, who I trust as a good partner for blood trailing. And I wanted a triangle entry exit hole. I wanted blood on the ground and I was willing to give up that quartering two and frontal shot, which I don't really condone to be honest, but I have taken them and successfully, I was going to give those shot angles up to have a better chance of putting a triangle hole through the elk. So what am I trying to say? The iron wheel is a damn good broadhead. It almost would be nice if you could change arrows based on the shot that you're going to get, but that's probably not possible. But if you're hunting like really thick country and solo calling and you think a bull's going to come in right to you at frontal, according to like, say you're in North Idaho, probably going to go with the iron will. If you're going to hunt more open country, like I prefer, I'm probably going to go with a micro Hades three blade. Yeah, I, I love the three blades. So the two bulls that I've killed with a three blade, it's a big hole. I got blood on the ground. Tracking is easy. I, I was impressed at the penetration with that iron wheel, watching that arrow go through that bone. But it was the same thing for me. I had iron wheels in my quiver. And on my hunt after that, 
based off of that blood, I changed them out for other options. And I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to keep an iron whale in your quiver. If you have a shot that you have to take and you know it's going to go through bone, the iron whale is what I would want to use. Yeah. Well, there you have it, guys. Once we got that bull broke down, it should be no surprise to you. We packed him out in the dark, made it back to camp at 1 a.m., and we did not go to bed. We loaded up, and we started driving towards Idaho. And I needed to drop, drop Jake off at his truck, and I think we had it somewhere in Salt Lake. And so I was going to drop Jake off at his truck, and I was going to try to get an evening hunt in the next day. That's right. So I skipped sleeping completely for a full day because we packed out, we load up camp, and uh, we made it to Idaho, and I was able to set up a camp in the afternoon, late afternoon, and do an evening hunt and continue to not miss a single day of September because they're finite. You guys have a lot of options on podcasts. Thanks for choosing ours. We hope that you know we inspire you. We can maybe give you some tips. We hope that we're relatable. We're just hardworking, average guys with an above-average obsession for elk hunting. And we hunt public ground just like you, and we cut our teeth, and we just know one thing, and that's work hard and good things happen. Appreciate you guys. Catch you on the next one.